Good morning, everyone. If you'll please stand for the reading of God's word. Today we'll be reading from Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. You can find that on page 467 in the blue Bibles that are located in front of you. If you do not have a Bible of your own, please feel free to take one of these home with you. Hear the word of the Lord. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Thus says God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm thankful that your word reminds us again and again that you delight in using weak and frail vessels and bringing glory to yourself. Um, Lord, and, and, and all of us, including myself, are weak and frail vessels, Lord, but I, I trust, not in my ability, not in, not in any words that I could ever come up with, Lord, but I trust this morning in your, in your powerful word that accomplishes all of its purposes, and I trust your Holy Spirit that is present in us. Lord, and so I ask this morning that, that as we open your word, that you would give us ears to hear. Um, Lord, we, we have no power or ability on our own um, to hear and understand and, and believe and trust in your word, and we need your help. So give us ears to hear this morning and give us hearts to receive your word. Um, Lord, give us, give us a fertile soil in our hearts um, that we might hear your word and believe your word. Lord, that you might produce a harvest in us uh, to your glory. Lord, and we ask this and we believe for this in, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys can be seated. Um, before I begin, just, a, just a two really, really quick things that uh, I want to... Um, uh, let you guys know. The first is that if you're coming um, to our fellowship, um, uh, the psalm sing and the potluck dinner this evening um, at First Baptist in Wolferth, um, and you are bringing food to that, if you would if you would take that immediately into the fellowship hall before the service begins, um, that would be appreciated. Um, the second thing is that uh, I mentioned this last week, but next Sunday we're going to have Wes White with us, um, one of the missionaries that we support. Um, that's who I traveled to Africa with. And we, as, as we always want to do, we'll take a love offering for him. And so I wanted to let you guys know about that so you can um, prepare for that for next week so that we can bless him in the work that he's doing. So... Um, as we continue our series this morning uh, on the attributes of God, uh, we come to one of my very favorite attributes. And I'm not sure if you're supposed to have favorite attributes or not. Uh, nevertheless, this is one of my favorite attributes of God. That's, that's the immutability of God. God's immutability. Uh, the word immutability, it comes from the Latin in, meaning not, and mutabilis, meaning change. And so immutability is a fancy word that simply means unchanging. So when we say that, that God is immutable, what we're saying is that God does not change. 
He never has changed. He never will change. And in fact, God cannot change. There are in fact things that God cannot do. God cannot change. That's good news for us this morning. We're told again and again in the scriptures, um, including here in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, that God is unchanging. Now, when we look at the book of Malachi, it's the final book of the Old Testament. And Malachi takes place about a hundred years after the return from exile in Babylon. And so, so we're talking about the 400s BC. This is, this is, you know, give or take a little bit. This is around 400 years before the time of Christ. But despite the return from exile, uh, despite the fact that they've rebuilt the temple, this is not a glorious time for the people of Israel. The nation is weak. It is surrounded by enemies. Um, Israel is not an independent nation. The rebuilt temple is greatly inferior to the temple that Solomon built. And the land is ravished by drought, by pestilence, by famine. And so nothing, nothing like the kingdom uh, under David and Solomon is what we're seeing in the book of Malachi. It was, it was a shadow of times past. And on top of all of these difficulties, there, there was a spiritual apathy and a spiritual hardness on the land and on the people, the people were robbing God with worthless offerings, right? They, they were saying, well, I've, I've got a lamb here and it's got a gimpy leg. So I, I think, you know, we'll, we'll take that as our offering to the Lord and we'll keep keep the good ones for ourselves. That's that's the kind of thing that was going on. They were robbing the Lord with their offerings. Their worship was external and it was hypocritical, And everything going on pointed to the perception that Israel had lost its covenant standing before God. It seemed as if God had abandoned his people. It seemed as if God had deserted them. And without a doubt, Israel deserved to be abandoned, right? They had not honored the Lord as they were called to do. They deserved to be deserted and left. But despite all of their sin, despite the spiritual apathy, the hardness, the coldness, despite the lack of love and the lack of zeal for for the God who had chosen them and called them and made them his own, God assures Israel that they will not be consumed. They have not been abandoned. They will not be abandoned. They will not be forgotten. They will not lose the covenant promises of God. Why? Why is that? Because God, the Lord, does not change. The immutability of God is their hope. God is unchanging. This was good news for Israel. And this is good news for the people of God today. But before we look at the immutability of God, let me tell you something about yourself. And that is that you are not immutable. You and I, we are ever-changing people. 
Our characters change, hopefully for the better, right? Hopefully we are progressing in our sanctification. Uh, We change our minds all the time about small things, um, about important things. The things that we love change. Again, hopefully for the better. Hopefully, as, as Christians, we are marked as people who no longer love their sin, but now love Christ. Our plans change. Sometimes on a daily basis. And even our bodies change. That is usually not for the better, right? Um, but those change as well. And in a person that never changes, that's not typically something that we look at as a good thing, right? People need to change. People need to mature. Boys need to grow up and become men, right? That's important. One of the problems with our society today is that we have 20, 30, 40-year-olds that have not grown up and become men yet, right? Who have not accepted the spiritual leadership in their homes and in the church. But this is something that needs to happen. We need to grow up. We need to mature. We need to change. Uh, I am believing in faith that one day uh, my son, my 10-year-old son, will grow up and he will learn to, to get home and to take his shoes off and put them away and not just fling them across the room and let them go wherever they want to go, right? I, I mean, I'm trusting the Lord for this change. And on a much more serious note, um, I, I, I greatly desire to see every one of my children grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord, to, to grow and become more and more in love With Jesus Christ to become more and more conformed into his image. And I pray for that change. I plead for that change. I trust the Lord for that change. You and I are constantly changing, but God never changes. God never once has changed. And think about this because, because to change means that in some way we are either becoming better or becoming worse. Right? Change is not just something neutral. We change for the better or we change for the worse. But if God were to change, it would mean either that he improved in some way, meaning he was not perfect to begin with, Or it would mean that he became less in some way, meaning he is no longer perfect. But because God is perfect in every way, he will not change. He cannot change. And so this morning we want to consider the immutability of our great God in regards to his person, his essence, who he is. That's that's number one. In regard to his word to what he said, and in regard to his purposes and his plans. Malachi tells us, in the scripture that Erica read for us, that that God does not change. And first and foremost, this means that God's person, God's essence, who he is, his character, his attributes, never change. As we've studied the attributes of God over the past months, uh, we've looked looked at many of those, and one of the attributes we looked at is the eternality of God, right? The idea that God is eternal. 
God is eternal. That, that means that God has always been and God always will be. Genesis 1-1, the, the very first line of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning was God. When, when everything else began, God already was. God had no beginning. Now this, this is a concept that is very challenging for us to wrap our human minds around. It's very difficult for us to conceive of something that did not have a beginning because everything, everything that we know, everything that we see around us had a definite beginning. But God has no beginning. There was never a time when God did not exist. There will never be a time where God does not exist. And who God is today is who he has been for all eternity and is who he will be for all eternity. God is not a different God today than he was at creation. God is not a different God today than when he called Abraham. God is not a different God today than when he sent the people of Israel into exile. God is not a different God in the New Testament than he is in the Old Testament. Now, that might seem like an obvious statement, but there are many, many people, there are many professing Christians who have trouble believing that. And in fact, many who do not believe that. They have trouble reconciling the God of the Old Testament with the God of the New. They they look at God in the Old Testament They see a God who calls for the destruction of Canaan. And they say, well, well, surely this cannot be the same God who so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. That, that can't be. God must have, God must have changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Or, or, or some will say, well, you know, it's the Father. The Father is angry. And, and the father is petty, and the father is jealous, and the father needs the son to settle him down, and to calm him down, and, and to make him a more gentle and loving father. Well, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what scripture teaches. God is unchanging. In the second century, there was a heretical sect known as Marcionism, the Marcionites, and and Marcion had so much trouble reconciling the God of the Old Testament with the God of the New Testament that he just decided to teach that they were actually two different gods, right? It's not just that God had changed, but these are actually different gods. The God of the Old Testament was jealous and petty and evil. The God of the New Testament, that that's the real God, that's the true God, that's the God that we worship. Um, but, but people who teach doctrines like this are people that simply do not understand the evil of sin and the holiness of God. God has not changed. God has never changed. He will never change. The, the God who commanded the destruction of Canaan is the God who sent his son and is the same God who is building his church and is the same God who will come again to judge the living and the dead. 
And God is not gradually evolved into what he is today, as the Mormons teach. The author of Hebrews reminds us very clearly that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13, verse 8. And this gives the Christian tremendous hope. Because it means that all of these incredible attributes of God that we've been studying for months now, God's love, God's mercy, God's wisdom, God's power, God's sovereignty, these things will never, ever change. If God were not immutable, if God were not unchanging, then how could I possibly trust in his mercy? Well, yeah, sure, you know, maybe God's been merciful in the past, and and maybe even God's shown me mercy today, but how do I know God's going to be merciful tomorrow? If, if God is a changing, immutable God, how do I know he'll be merciful tomorrow, or next week, or next year? How do I know he'll be a gracious God tomorrow? How do I know he'll love me tomorrow? How do I know he'll still be sovereignly ruling on his throne tomorrow? If God is changing, then I have no assurance of that. My children, my wife as well, they they can attest that, that my character, my attributes can change very quickly. I'm sorry to say, although most of you can probably relate, uh, there, there are days where um, I, I feel like my patience towards my children, my wife, the people around me will will never run out. Um, there are days when I am slow to anger and abounding in love for my family and for my brothers and sisters. Uh, but there are other days where where I feel like I I don't possess even an ounce of patience. There are other days where I am irritable and quick to anger, and not abounding in love and kindness. And can you imagine if God was that way? Can you imagine if God had the emotional swings that you and I have, sometimes from one moment to the next? What hope in a God like that could we possibly have? But our God, let me assure you, Our God is merciful yesterday and today and forever. Our God is gracious yesterday, today and forever. He is loving. He is powerful. He is wise. He is sovereign. He is good yesterday and today and forever. And aren't you glad? James 1.17 says, Every good... And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation of shadow due to change. Now, most scholars agree that that James, in his letter, is writing to Jewish Christians. And he is he's writing to encourage and exhort them to persevere through trial and through temptation. And he wants them to understand that the temptation that they're experiencing never comes from God. 
God never tempts his people to sin. But as believers, everything that they've received from the Lord, everything that he does in their lives is only ever for their good. And then he reminds them that God is unchanging. He's not like the shadows that shift and change. He is unchanging and he will only ever be good and faithful to them, to his people. And so they are able to have hope in trials and temptation, even in severe trial and temptation, because their father is good and their father is unchanging. His person His character, his attributes, his essence, who he is, will never change. Spurgeon said, Consider what you owe to his immutability. Though you have changed a thousand times, he has not changed once. God is immutable in his person. God is also immutable in his word. His person will not change and, and what he has said and what he has revealed to us about himself will never change. Now again, I want you to think about yourself for a moment. How many times in your life have you said that you would do something and then you failed to do it? How many times in your life were you unable or unwilling to keep a promise? How many times in your life Have you said something only to change your mind down the road? How many times have have you spoken something that proved to be false or untrue? How many times have you been um, less than completely trustworthy in your life? How many times have we failed to keep our word? The answer is, is too many times to count, time and time again. But how comforting is it to have a God who will never go back on his word, who will never break a promise, who always means what he says, and who always speaks the truth. God has definitively spoken to us and revealed himself to us through his word, through the scriptures, and what he has spoken will never change. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Psalm 119, 89, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Psalm 119, 160, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures Forever. And the reason, church, that God's word is authoritative over our lives is because his word is immutable. It is unchanging. It does not mean one thing today and then something different tomorrow. Right? There are too many people today that read the scriptures and say, well, you know, maybe... Maybe Paul meant that, you know, in the first century, but this is the 21st century, right? That's not what it means today. No. God's word is unchanging. What it meant then is what it means today, is what it will always mean. 
Imagine if the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians that they're saved by grace through faith, but then he wrote to the Corinthians that they're saved through the act of baptism. But then he wrote to the Thessalonians that they're saved by giving a lot of money to the church, right? How could we possibly believe anything in God's word if that were the case? Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7 that the one who hears his words and the one who does his words, he is like the one who builds on the rock. And the reason that we can build our lives on the word of God and listen, if you want to have a a life that is blessed, then build your life on the word of God. The reason that we can do that, the reason we can build on the word of God is because his word is like a rock. It is immovable and it is unchanging. It is not like the shifting sands. God is so committed to his word that Jesus makes this incredible promise in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, also part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. That's an incredible promise. Jesus says that that not an iota, not even a dot, will change. Now, Now, an iota was the smallest letter of the alphabet, and a dot was even smaller than that. It, it was it was the smallest stroke of a pen that was used to differentiate between one Hebrew letter and another. Right? It's like if if we draw if we draw a line, we have an I, and then if we add one tiny little stroke right there, now we've got a T. We've got a, a different letter. And Jesus is saying, not not even the tiniest stroke of a pen. Not even the smallest letter, not, not even, not even the, the smallest unit of punctuation will change from my word. One of the great miracles that God has done over the course of history is the preservation of His word for the world and for His people. God's word will never change. Never. And God will never change His mind. Numbers 23:19 God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind has he said and will he not do it or as he has he spoken and will he not fulfill it now now again as human beings we change our minds all the time right we can we can look at the divorce rate in this country and how many couples have stood before God and have vowed till death do us part, only for at a later time to change their minds and, and say, well, I, I don't think, I don't think I mean that anymore. We change our minds all of the time. We, we change our minds because we learn new information. We change our minds uh, because we made a poor decision to begin with. We change our minds because we lack the ability or, or we lack the power to do the thing that we wanted to do. But God, think about God. God already knows all things. God will never learn something new. Right? There, there's another thing that God cannot do. God cannot learn. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. 
But an omniscient person cannot learn. God is, God is all wise, and God will never make a decision that he must later correct. Right? God is all powerful. God will always be able to carry out everything that he purposes to do and accomplish. And so if God has said it, then you can be fully assured that it is truth and that it will come to pass. That means that you can stake your life on every promise that God has made you in his word. Fear not, for I am with you. Isaiah 41.10 You can stake your life on that promise. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew 11.28 You can stake your life on that promise. My grace is sufficient for you. 2 Corinthians 12.19 That promise will never change. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 That promise will never change. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have eternal life. That is a promise that will never change. Romans chapter 8. All things work together for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. That will never change. If God is for us, who can be against us? And, and who can possibly bring a charge against God's elect? No one. That's a promise that will never change. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And, and guys, I, I mean, as you probably know, I, I could go on for hours and hours and read you promises in the word of God made to you that will never, ever change. What a comfort that God's word to us, that God's promise to us is unchanging, will never change. God's person, his essence, his character will never change. His word will never change. And finally, God's purposes never change. His plans never change and never need to be altered in any way. In January 2020, there were a lot of people with a lot of plans. And those plans changed very quickly by March of that year. We had, as a church, we had just had an elders retreat um, in, in February of 2020. We'd just spent a few days together, and it was a great time together. We'd spent a few days praying together and casting vision for the church, and coming up with all kinds of plans that we had, that we wanted to do in the church, and with the church, and through the church to the community, all kinds of plans in February 2020. And then March happens, and we have a global pandemic on our hands. And you know what happened to all those plans? Those plans went out the window, right? They All of those plans changed immediately, we didn't, we didn't see COVID coming, right? We didn't see like the world shutting down. We didn't see that coming. 
We didn't see all the effects and outworkings of that. No, no one saw that coming. I mean, God saw that coming, but none of us saw that coming. And all of the plans that we made had to change immediately. That's the reality for us. We are forced to change our plans or we choose to change our plans all the time. We have, we have neighbors and they have they have a daughter, she's, she's 11 or 12, and she was earlier this year diagnosed with leukemia. And I was, I was talking to the father, um, you know, a few months back, and, and one of the things that he told me is, is that every, every single plan that we have for the coming years, it's all changed now. Right? You know, just in one instant, one diagnosis, and every plan that we had for the future, it's changed. It all looks different now. Um, th- their plans for their children's schooling, it changed. Their career plans changed. The, the, the father had to change his career so that he could be at home more. Um, their travel plans changed. Even just their plans for day-to-day living, um, in one instant, everything had changed. Our plans change because unexpected things happen to us, like pandemics and like a cancer diagnosis. Our plans change because sometimes the things that we want, we don't have the power, we don't have the ability to carry those things out, right? I can plan all that I want to become a professional golfer. And let me tell you, that's just never going to happen. It doesn't matter how much I plan. If you've ever played with me, you can attest to that truth. No amount of planning in the world uh, is ever going to get me to that point. Uh, so, you know, I've just got to let those plans die, right? I need, I need different plans. But, but God has never once had to change a single one of his plans. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He is never caught by surprise. He never has to course correct. Um, you know, for those of you that like to watch football... Um, the thing that sets really, really good football coaches apart from others is that they get to halftime and they're able to course correct. They're able to change the game plan in order to take an advantage of the other team, right? Because you don't win the game in the first half. You win the game in the second half. And, and the best coaches in the world, they can go in at halftime. They can make the necessary changes. They can come out and they can win the game, right? And some people think, well, you know, that's, man, that's kind of like our God. He is so good. You know, whatever happens to him, he can go in there and he can, he can make changes and, and he can work. You know, even though we sin, you know, he, he can work with it and he can, he can kind of correct around it and, and, and he can come up with alternatives to, you know, to still keep the world on track. Wow, that's an awesome God. That's not really an awesome God. That's, that's not, that's not my God. That's not the God of the Bible, right? Our God has never once had to course correct. He's never once had to change any one of his plans, right? The, the incarnation of Christ the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, that, that was not God's course correction to Adam's sin in the garden. God has accomplished every one of his plans for all eternity without exception. You can't surprise someone who's omniscient. And God is not only omniscient, but he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful, and he's all-wise. He never lacks the power. He never lacks the ability to accomplish everything that he desires to do. 
Not even once. And this is the consistent witness of the Bible. Look at Isaiah 14, uh, verses 24 to 27. I love this passage. Isaiah writes, The Lord of hosts has sworn, As I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand, that I will break the Assyrian in my land, and on my mountain trample him underfoot. And his yoke shall depart from them, and his burden from their shoulder. This is the purpose that is purposed concerning the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purpose, and who will annul it? That's a rhetorical question. His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Now, in the time of Isaiah, there was no greater world power and there was no greater threat to the people of Israel than the nation of Assyria. The Assyrians were ravishing the nations around them. They were conquering whoever they wanted to conquer. And no one had the power to stand in their way. But God looks at them and God says, I will break the Assyrian. I will trample the Assyrian underfoot. This is my purpose, and who will annul it? This is, this is my plan. Who will change it? So, so let me ask you a very simple question. If God has purposed to do something, to do anything, then who or what has the power to stand in his way? If God has stretched out his hand towards someone, then who has the power to slap it away? No one. Nothing. Throughout history, God has accomplished every single one of his purposes. Nothing has stood in God's way. Nothing will stand in his way. And nothing has ever frustrated his plans or his purposes. Not you, not me. Not the devil, no one. Psalm 115, verse 3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Everything that God has ever pleased to do, he has done without exception. He doesn't need your permission. He doesn't need my permission. Whatever he does, whatever he pleases, he does, he accomplishes. And one of God's greatest purposes was to save for himself a people. So I want you to understand this, that that if you are a Christian, if you have placed your trust in Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, then before the beginning of time, God's purpose was to save you. Before he created the universe... God already knew you. God had already chosen you. God had already called you. God God had already placed his love upon you. God had already purposed to save you. And so, why would we possibly doubt that God will keep us? If God has purposed to save you, then God will keep you. And again, remember the words of Isaiah. 
If he has purposed, then who will annul it? If he has stretched out his hand towards you, who will turn it back? If God holds you in his hand, then who could possibly snatch you away? John 10, 28. Israel in the time of Malachi had forgotten their first love. They had forsaken God. They had dishonored God. But the immutable God, the unchanging God, had made a covenant with them. And God's purpose was to preserve the Jews and to bring forth from them a Savior who would be a blessing to all nations. Therefore, because God's character never changes, because he never goes back on his word, and because his purpose has never changed, therefore, the people of Israel are not consumed. And therefore, you and I, if we are the people of God, we are not consumed. And so in times of doubt, in times where you struggle with unbelief, Remember that God does not change. When you sin, when I sin, God does not change. When we are unfaithful, God does not change. When when we look at the world around us and it just looks like such a disaster and, and and it seems to be in so much turmoil... And when life feels like one of those rides at the fair that just keeps spinning you upside down over and over and over, God does not change. So take confidence, all you Christians, that your God is an immutable God, and therefore you are not consumed. But let me finish with a word of warning to those of you who have not trusted in Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. If you reject Jesus in this life, then God's purpose will be to judge you for all of eternity. And that purpose will never change. So as the psalmist said, as the author of Hebrews said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. May may today be the day where you repent of your sin, where you acknowledge that you are a sinner in desperate need of the grace of God. May today be the day that you call upon the name of the Lord and are saved. There should be nothing more terrifying for an unbeliever than the truth that God does not change. But there's nothing more comforting to a Christian than the incredible truth that God does not change and our God will never change. Amen? God, stand with me. Let's pray together. Father, we are, we are humbled by your word. We are humbled by your graciousness and your mercy towards us. And, and Lord, what, what was true of Israel is true of us. We, we don't deserve your mercy. We don't deserve your grace. Um, we, we deserve to be abandoned by you. We deserve 
to have your promises revoked. We don't deserve anything good that comes from you. But you, our God, are an unchanging God. And who you are will never change. And and what you have said and what you have promised will never change. And what you have purposed for your people will never change. So, Lord, we, we are humbled. And our only response is to cry out in worship. To give you all honor, all glory, all praise. Who, who is like our God? There is no one like you. You are the God above all. Your name is above all names. You are King of kings. You are Lord of lords. And Lord, we thank you this morning that you are unchanging. And we thank you that because of that truth, we are not consumed. And we have all hope and all confidence that we are your sons and daughters. And that you are good to us and that everything that you give us is good and that you will never change. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. We honor you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. We have the incredible privilege now of of coming together as the body of Christ uh, to the Lord's table and partaking of this sacrament together. I'm going to ask our communion helpers if they would... Come and prepare to serve. This is a sacrament that Jesus instituted 2,000 years ago. And today, in the 21st century, um, we continue to celebrate it um, because the body of Christ broken for us, the blood of Christ that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins, it has not changed. It is it is the same as it has always been. And so we get to we get to come together and partake of the bread and partake of the cup and celebrate Christ's death for us as the church has been doing without ceasing for two thousand years. What an what an incredible blessing that is. Um, that the the blood and and body of Christ it, it has not lost any of its power. It has not lost any of its efficacy. The price that Christ paid for our sins has not changed. And as it was effective then, it was effective today, and it will always be effective. And so we can we can celebrate our unchanging, immutable God as we come and we partake of the supper this morning. Um, as we always say, this this table is open to anyone who's a believer, who's in, who's trusted in Christ for their salvation. But if you're not a believer, we ask you not to come and participate, um, because the Bible tells us that when you come and participate in an unworthy manner, that you eat and drink judgment upon yourselves. And so our desire for you this morning, as I already said, is that, is that today would be the day that you turn to Christ in repentance and faith, that you trust in Him for the forgiveness of your sins as your Savior, as your Lord, that you call upon His name and be saved. And we're praying that the Lord will do that in each and every one of your hearts this morning that doesn't know the Lord. Uh, and we invite you, if that's you, that you would come 
talk to myself, talk to Pastor Mark, talk to Gabe. We would love to share the gospel with you to tell you the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, but for, for those of you that are believers, I invite you to come, partake of the elements, take them back to your seat, and in a moment we will take those together. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Now let's give thanks. Father, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you for Jesus who who humbled himself, who took on human flesh, human nature, who became like us in our weakness yet was without sin, who lived a perfect life and fulfilled all righteousness, and then stood in our place and took his punishment on himself, and that through his punishment we have received peace. Thank you for the body of Christ broken for us, the blood of Jesus shed for us, that we might be forgiven and cleansed of all of our sin. We give thanks to you, God, for your grace and your mercy. We give thanks to you, God, that it was your purpose before time itself to save a people for yourself. And we thank you that nothing can frustrate your purpose in saving your people. We give you all glory, all honor, and all praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you put your hands in a receiving position, let me read a benediction over you from Psalm 102, uh, verses 25 to 28. It says, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, you will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure, their offspring shall be established before you. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace.